I'm so happy my entire family could come along with us. I'm glad I have seven children, so Pastor Bider will stay off my case about having more kids. I will not preach about what you eat or how many babies to have, because I know that's covered. <laughs> I know that's all covered here, amen. <laughs> all right, I figure if you can pick on me about the clock, I can <laughs> say a couple things. <laughs> it's always a blessing to be at Lighthouse Baptist Church. We love this church. We love the Lord Jesus, so we love what Jesus, if we love Jesus, we'll love what Jesus loves, Amen. And what a, what a blessing even to see the, uh, the meeting place here that you meet in and see how you've improved this. And my, uh, my commendation to you, it really looks great. It's a blessing. I think it's, a, I think it's always interesting how we pull up carpet and we find, look at how nice, why did they cover that up, you know? That is beautiful, beautiful. And so God bless you for all that. Thank you for providing a house for us for the week and the the groceries and the uh, the hundred dollar gift card to buy groceries and all of that it's it's a real blessing and God gave us a, a good trip down yesterday. We left the house at four forty five in the morning and we got here at nine o'clock and that's pretty good having all six of our girls and then Dana and then Mary Ellen and Nancy so you know having uh, nine women and two men in a van that's pretty good time isn't it brother It's pretty good. Yes, we didn't have to stop much, and the, the girls, Dana and the girls did such a great job Sunday night getting food ready and all, so we just, we ate in the van and just cruised on down, and the Lord is good to us. We ought to notice all of his blessings. The Psalms talk about that. We should observe these things. We never had to stop. We came all the way down on the east, you know, eastern seaboard, so around Boston, and then um, Baltimore, Washington, D.C., and I, I don't think the traffic stopped one time, slowed down a few times, but never stopped. And thank God, no mechanical difficulties and all. The Lord is very good to us. In the book of John and chapter 13, John chapter 13, the scripture says, now before the feast of the Passover, I've got this part underlined here. It says, when Jesus knew, when Jesus knew that his hour was come, that he should depart out of this world unto the Father. Having loved his own which were in the world, he loved them unto the end. And then there's a little gap of time, but then he had the supper, and supper being ended, the devil having now put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. I've also got this underlined, Jesus knowing. Jesus knowing. I believe it's important to... Notice, when Jesus knew and Jesus knowing, look what he did when he knew what he knew and knowing what he knew, that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he was come from God and went to God. Jesus, with all of this knowledge, he riseth from supper and laid aside his garments and took a towel, the slave towel, and girded himself. He put that towel around him like a slave. After that, he poureth water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel wherewith he was girded. Then cometh he to Simon Peter, and Peter saith unto him, Lord, dost thou wash my feet? Jesus answered and said unto him, What I do thou knowest not now, 
but thou shalt know hereafter. Peter saith unto him, thou shalt never wash my feet. Now, isn't it interesting? He just said, Lord, you're the Lord. But then he's telling the Lord what to do. Isn't that sad? Isn't that how often uh, we find ourselves? Lord, no. Somebody said you can't say no, Lord. Those two words cancel each other out. That's true, isn't it? No, Lord. Lord, no. Don't do this. Jesus answered him, if I wash thee not, thou hast no part with me. Simon Peter saith unto him, and he's going to tell the Lord what to do. Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Peter seemed to kind of swing back and forth pretty extreme, didn't he? Jesus saith to him, he that is washed, and that word for wash there, the word behind this English word, has to do with like a full bath. He that is washed needeth not save to wash his feet. Different Greek word. He that's had his full bath, or we'd say maybe today a shower, clean all over, needeth not save to wash his feet. They wore sandals, and they walked around in dusty feet or dusty streets, and so they would need their feet washed. But he said, if you've already been washed like a bath, you don't need anything washed but your feet, but is clean every whit. And ye, notice he's been talking directly to Peter with the thee and thou. Now he says ye, the church there, the disciples, and ye are clean, but not all. For he knew, verse 11, who should betray him. Therefore said he, ye are not all clean. Now let's just take care of something right now. This cannot be a church ordinance of washing physical feet with literal water. Right here in the account, Jesus makes it real clear that what he did was a spiritual lesson. He literally did wash physical feet with water. Jesus did that. But he didn't establish that for the church to do because right here he says, you're clean but not all. And he says, and John says the reason he said that would have to do with the betrayal. So this is not an ordinance Jesus instituted whereby as a church you're to wash each other's feet. It's, there's a physical activity that took place that illustrates a spiritual truth and the spiritual reality has to be maintained in the church. Spiritual foot washing, rebuking, forgiving, helping, discipling, and all of that. If it was a church ordinance to literally wash feet, then why don't we see it going on in the book of Acts? Why is it not commanded and explained in the epistles? So if anyone ever throws that at you, well, does your church practice foot washing? What you could say is, well, yes, we help each other. We show each other the truth, and we help each other have clean feet, sanctified lives. We're clean by the washing of the water with the word of God. The pastors preach, and we exhort, and we edify one another. But right here on the account, you can see that Jesus is not teaching physical foot washing. But what we do see in this passage, and of course, 12 to 20, the next passage, goes along and gives more detail about this, but that's as far as we'll read tonight. What we do see in this passage is another instance of the truth that Jesus loved his church. Jesus' love for his church. This love for his church is shown in this passage as he washed their feet, as he worked through Peter's misunderstanding, and as he warned of Judah's uncleanness. This is how Jesus loved his church. We read in the Bible that Jesus loves the church, and Jesus loved the church and gave himself for it. Do you love your church? Do you love Lighthouse Baptist Church? 
Do you love Calvary Baptist Church, members at Calvary? Do the members of Midcoast Baptist Church that are here, do you love Midcoast Baptist Church? If you will do, you will do as Jesus gave an example. Verse 15, I have given you an example that ye should do as I have done to you. You also will wash feet. You also will work through misunderstandings. And you also will agree with and engage in warning of uncleanness. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you in Jesus' name that in your great love you sent your only begotten Son into the world and he did die on an old rugged cross, a death that he did not deserve, but a death that he willingly, uh, that he willingly submitted to because of his great love for his people. To bring many sons to glory, he endured the cross despising the shame and we thank you in Jesus' name. Now, Lord, please tonight... Give grace for the edification of your assembly. Give grace for the conviction of any soul that is lost. Please help us tonight to see in this passage Jesus' love for the church and to take an honest assessment of ourselves as we look in the mirror of the Word of God and to be real in answering the question, do I really love my church? And Lord, if we're not loving as Jesus loved in this passage, I pray that we'd quickly confess and we'd quickly repent And we quickly give ourselves to loving the very church that Jesus loves. In Jesus' name we pray it. And Lord, defeat the devil, please. Amen. Jesus loved his church by washing their feet, by working through a misunderstanding, and by warning of uncleanness. Now, Jesus most certainly did have a church in John chapter 13. He most certainly had a church. The Bible tells us that John the Baptist prepared a people for the Lord. Jesus called them to himself and ordained 12 to be apostles. Mark chapter 3, verses, 3, or verses 13 and 14, Luke 6, 12 and 13. Jesus sent those church members preaching and baptizing, John 4, 1 to 2 and other portions of scripture. Jesus built up his church. He edified, he exhorted, established his church, Matthew 16, 18. Jesus gave his church church discipline, Matthew 18, 15 to 20. Jesus gave his church the Lord's Supper. Jesus gave his church baptism, the Great Commission, and the scriptures, John 17, 18, Matthew 28, etc. They were not a loose-knit group of believers at this time. They were a band of believers who had been baptized and banded together by the Lord Jesus Christ. They were not just a bunch of Christians having Bible studies and hanging out together, quote-unquote. They were a church. They were his church. And Jesus loved his church, not just with platitudes. It's one thing to sing, blessed be the tie that binds. It's another thing to endeavor to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Endeavor means work hard at it, amen? You have to work hard at it. And mainly you have to work hard against your own lust and your own selfishness and your own pride and your own foolishness and your own wrong thinking, just like I have to work hard against my own problems to endeavor to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Jesus really loved his church. Jesus would say he loved his church, and it is important to say, I love you. And it's even okay just to say, I love you without throwing in the Lord in there like it's okay to just say i love you brother byler amen Amen. it's okay to love one another it's scriptural jesus said the bible tells us in the old testament love your neighbor as yourself and then jesus showed his church we take it to a whole new level in this new testament era love as jesus loved 
selfless, sacrificing love. Love according to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Jesus loved them. He loved them in actuality, not just abstractly. There's this idea sometimes of, I love everybody. A lot of liberalism is about how much they love everybody, but anyone in particular? You know, not so much. Jesus said, love thy neighbor, love your wife. Young women learn to love your husbands and love your children, not just abstract. When I was a kid, I, I always got nervous when everyone was saying they loved each other in the house. I, I just was never touchy and feely and lovey-dovey and all that. And I can remember being 12, 13 years old, and, and we'd be all saying goodnight, you know, and, and Dad would say, I love you, and, I, and, and uh, my sisters, oh, I love you, Dad, I love you, Mom, I love you. And I'd yell, I love everybody, and I'd run and jump in bed because <laughs> I just didn't like getting real personal with it. <laughs> just wasn't me. And I've learned to, to be more personal like that. I, I can remember my grandma would hug me and I'd, you know, I'd be flailing around and, and my aunts and uncles all, and my mom would say, you need, to, you need to learn to give people the real hug, Bobby, and, and it's okay and stop acting so awkward and everything. <laughs> well, a lot of folks are happy to talk about loving in general, but not actual loving in particular. Jesus actually loved in practice, not just abstract, but act of love. In this text, we see very simply, he washed their feet. He washed their feet. Now, I want you to think about who Jesus is in the, in the book of John, as far as John has revealed up to this point about Jesus Christ. In chapter 1, we see he's the, he's the eternal word who made all things, who is with God, who is God, who gives light and life, who was made flesh, who perfectly declares the Father, who is the King, the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of God, the King of Israel. We're just going to get a good rhythm here, okay? I'm going to give you a statement from each chapter, and you're going to say, all right, we can do this. In chapter 2, he began to manifest forth his glory by making the water wine, and he cleansed his father's house. In chapter 3, he's the bridegroom who is from above and is above all, and he is he whom God hath sent. You got it. In chapter 4, Jesus is the Christ, the Savior of the world. In chapter 5, he is equal with God, and he is the judge. In chapter 6, he's the master of the wind and sea with authority over his church and authority over nature, and he's the bread of life, the Passover lamb, and the Christ, the son of the living God. In chapter 7, he's the giver of the Holy Spirit. In John 8, he's the light of the world and the eternal God who declared before Abraham was, I am. In chapter 9, he's the son of God who can open the eyes of the blind. In chapter 10, he's the shepherd of the flock of God who has power to die, power to rise again, power to give eternal life, and who is one with the Father. In chapter 11, he's the resurrection and the life. In chapter 12, he is the son of man who is the high and lifted up one who is holy, 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 and before whom every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And in chapter 13, this very same Jesus, this Lord of glory, the Son of God, the King of Israel, the Word, the eternal Word, the one who is the Word veiled in flesh, the Godhead see, the incarnate deity, Jesus our Emmanuel, rises up from supper, lays aside his garments, puts on a slave towel, and washes the feet of his disciples. Isn't that amazing to think about that? That's what he did right there was like a little picture of what he 
did in the big picture when he stood up from his throne in heaven and laid aside not his deity, but laid aside the free exercise of his attributes and came down and put on the robes of human flesh, the slave robe of human flesh, and served God and served his church and then eventually rose again and was exalted to the Father's right hand. Jesus really stood up and really did serve his church. It's amazing. Jesus really loved them. I mean, we see Jesus loved his church by really doing real hospitality that met a real need. Now, with our 21st century American lens over our eyes, maybe we don't really see what's going on here. They have gone into the supper room and they've had the supper and nobody's washed anybody's feet. That's really poor manners. But you see, apparently there were no slaves there. Peter, James, John, Bartholomew, Thaddeus, Simon, and the rest of them, they weren't going to wash each other's feet because none of them were slaves. They weren't servants. They were above foot washing. Foot washing was the task for the most menial, lowly slave in the household at that time. None of them were doing that. So it didn't get done. It needed to be done in the assembly. But it didn't get done because everybody that's there is too good to do it. Except for the one they all called Master and Lord. And he says that in the next passage. You call me Master and Lord, and you say, well, for so I am. And if I, therefore, your Master and Lord, wash your feet, you ought to do the same thing. Amen? Amen. Jesus loved them. There's There's a real need, and there's real hospitality that Jesus engages in to meet a real need. Now, this type of self demoting, self-sacrificing service is taught all through the Bible, Old and New Testament. Particularly, it is promoted in the New Testament epistles to the churches. This is actually a qualification for pastors. Pastors are to be men that are hospitable and actually not just making sure we do something hospitable now and then, but actually given to hospitality. Like we look after the needs, real needs of real people, and we really make sure real people are really taken care of as we are able and as it is fit. This is actually real Christianity going on here. By the way, would you agree pastors are to be given to hospitality? And would you agree also that every church member is to follow the faith and example of their pastor? So then church members ought to be given to hospitality. Jesus shows real Christianity, serving in real ways, helping, considering, giving, not even just sitting back with an attitude of, well, if my pastor ever needs something done for the church, I'm happy to say yes if he ever asks. But actually things like, Pastor, I want you to know if there's ever anything that needs done, I'm available. I'm volunteering right now for anything that I can possibly do. And sometimes even just saying, I see a need, I'm going to meet it, unless you tell me not to, Pastor. Amen. Jesus just jumped in, and he did the job that nobody else is willing to do, being an example why he really loved them. Now, Jesus, you'll see in uh, verse 21, when Jesus had thus said, he was, what's it say? What's it say, everybody, out loud? Troubled in spirit. He knows what's coming. 
He's going to be in the Garden of Gethsemane soon. He's going to be sweating, as it were, great drops of blood. He knows the cup that he's ready to drink. He knows the cross that he's going to be crucified on. He knows he's going to take all of our sins in his own body on the tree. He knows what he's facing, and he's troubled in spirit. And Jesus could have said in the upper room, he could have said to himself, I'm troubled in spirit. There's a great need here. And there's teaching that needs to be done, feet that need to be washed and all, but I'm troubled in spirit. And so I will do these things after I get through this season of difficulty in my life. You ever been there? Well, I know there's a need, and I know some folks need love, and I know there needs to be some forgiveness, and I know I need to work through some things with some people, and I know I need to give my time and my energy and my money to serve in the ministry and all, but God knows right now I've got some real battles going on in my heart and mind. And so just as soon as all of that is gone and everything is rosy and good, I'll be happy to help somebody else. That's not what Jesus did. Jesus could have said, You know, I wanted to wash everybody's feet, but I didn't bring my favorite towel and my special bowl. I mean, I've got a special bowl I ordered from Amazon.com, and it's perfectly designed for foot washing and all, and I don't have that with me, and that is really a shame. As soon as I have better equipment or better tools, then I'll be glad to help out. Sometimes we're that way. Well, I'd love to be hospitable. I'd love to pitch in and serve more with the church. As soon as I get more education, as soon as I get more abilities, or, you know, I'd like to have someone over to the house and be an encouragement to them, but we don't have a prime rib right now, and we don't have any lobster. You know, it can be a great blessing to have someone over to the house and have hot dogs. It really can. Or how about some popcorn, amen, Brother Webb? I've been over the webs before. We just had popcorn. But you sit and you encourage one another. You talk about the scriptures. You have some good fellowship. A lot of times this type of stuff doesn't go on among good people in good churches because we think unless we have our best, our finest china and our greatest meal, and it's got to be 17 courses and all that, then we can't do it. No, it's good to be a blessing and to meet a need or be an encouragement even if we can't roll out the red carpet and all. Jesus gave what he could give. He did what he could do. Don't wait until everything is super duper in your life and you have better stuff or better abilities. Serve like Jesus did. And when is that? It's now. Now. Now's the need. Now is the time. Give what you have. Be hospitable now. God will bless that. Jesus really loved his church. So he met a real need. And meeting this real need, then of course, he used that as occasion to teach spiritual truth by his example, and by his teaching. And in the next passage, he talks about that example that he just gave. He does it, he actually does it, and he teaches it. And that's so important. Preaching and practice. Someone said, creed and deed. Jesus loved his church. Jesus loved his church also at this time, in this place, by working through Peter's misunderstanding. Jesus comes to wash Peter's feet. Oh, not me, Lord. Thou shalt never wash my feet. And then, oh, wash me all over. A misunderstanding. You know what misunderstandings are? They're a great part of church life. What I mean by great is a big part of church life. Misunderstandings are a big part of married life. Say amen, brother. You finding that out? 
only you. You misunderstand her. She does not misunderstand you, right? It's, it's your fault. But misunderstandings. Misunderstandings is a big part of school life, work life. And there's a lot of folks. There's a misunderstanding, and off they go. They give up. They throw in the towel. Don't be that type of person. This is much of church life. Here we have the church gathered in an upper room. It's a very difficult time. It's a very heavy time. It's a very tough time. And the church is there. And the men at this time of the church, the apostles, you know what they're doing? They're arguing about who's greatest. You see it over in the book of Luke. They're sitting around arguing about, and it says they're accounting who's greatest. So they're literally, they're running, they're doing it by the numbers. I mean, maybe Peter's been saying, hey, you know, when Jesus uh, went up on the mount, who all did he take? <laughs> when Jesus went in to raise up the 12-year-old girl, how many of us went in the room? You know? and, and maybe the Bartholomew's over there just going, well, you know what, Peter? Well, there was that time when I was preaching, and I baptized so many people, and you didn't that day. We don't know exactly, but they're counting up, and they're arguing over who's the greatest. And as they're arguing, Jesus rises up, puts off his garments, puts on the slave garb, and begins to wash their feet. And then, as Peter begins to argue with him, Jesus works through the problem. The church is gathered. Jesus is, listen, teaching something. He's teaching them about love and about forgiveness and about helping each other get things right in their lives. And they did learn. When Peter wrote First and Second Peter, he was foot washing. He was helping clean up the churches of Galatia and Cappadocia and Bithynia and Asia. Amen. He was helping clean them up as the Lord showed him. But Jesus is teaching and he gets to a leading member of the church and this member of the church does not understand what Jesus is doing. Now, would you agree with me that at this time Jesus was the lead pastor of that church? Amen. The lead pastor is doing something, and one of the leading church members, who's on the staff actually, he's one of the pastors, one of the bishops, according to Acts 1, one of the apostles, he starts to argue with the lead pastor because he doesn't understand what the lead pastor is doing. And then as the lead pastor answers him, he still argues with him. And what does the lead pastor do? This shepherd, this great shepherd of the sheep, Jesus, he works through it with Peter. He helps Peter. Come to an understanding. Now, I want you to think about this. Do you love your church? Maybe you as a member of the church, you say something and you, or you do something, and another member of the church misunderstands what you're doing or what you're saying, or they misinterpret it, and they begin to argue with you. And maybe their visage towards you changes. Maybe their attitude towards you changes. What are you going to do about that? Will you do what Jesus did? Will you be patient with all men? Will you seek to talk about it and seek to give further information? Or is it possible that what you're actually doing and what you're actually saying isn't right and they ought to be arguing with you about it? That can happen too. How will you respond to that? This is a great example of working through an issue. Now, this is much of church life. That's why you have Matthew 18 in the Bible. Matthew 18's not there because once in a blue moon, you're going to need to go to Matthew 18 and see what to do. This is a great part of church life. Luke 17 tells us, if your brother sins against you, rebuke him, and if he repents, forgive him, and do it 70 times, 7 times. Amen? Because that will happen often. 
Jesus is showing. This is what you do when there's an issue. In John 21, there's another time where Peter's misunderstanding things. Jesus calls Peter to repentance and three times tell him, tells him to follow me. And then Peter, of course, turns about in John 21, verse 20, and he seeth John, the disciple whom Jesus loved following. And, and Peter says to Jesus, what shall this man do? What shall this man do? Aren't we that way so often? The Lord's dealing with us about something. Well, Lord, what about her? The Lord's dealing with us about something. Well, what about him? Well, what about my husband? Well, what about dad and mom, Lord? Well, what about you? The Lord's dealing with you. The Lord's dealing with Peter and Peter's. What about John? And Jesus said, if I will that he tarry till I come, what is that to thee? Follow thou me. And then again in verse 23, then went this saying abroad among the brethren that that disciple John should not die. So a whole bunch of brethren all around began to have a misunderstanding about something Jesus said to Peter, right? You know what John does? John sets the record straight. There will be misunderstandings. If you look over uh, later in the book of Acts chapter 6, you see basically a fight breaking out because the Grecian widows are being neglected in the daily ministration. What does the church do? Do they split? Does everybody take different teams and they war against each other? No, the church works through the issue because the pastors say, here's the issue, we've got a plan, now let's work through the problem. And what happens at the end? The word of the Lord increases and multiplies, amen? In chapter 15, the church at Jerusalem has some men not sent out, but it does say they went out. There's a difference in sent out and went out. I'm not going to preach on that tonight. But there's problems all over the place because of the went ones that are not the sent ones. But the went ones go down to Antioch and they're saying, well, you've got to be circumcised, etc. And so Paul doesn't put up with that, not even for an hour. He gets right in their face and the church at Antioch says, let's send some men up to Jerusalem and let's see if we can work through this issue between these two churches now. And they go up there and the whole church meets and then just the leadership meets and then the whole church meets and then James the lead pastor gives his sentence and they all agree to it and they put it in writing and what they did is they worked through the issue. Amen. We can work through issues by the grace of God. You see it over in Romans 14, how to work through issues. Pretty much all of First and Second Corinthians is about how to work through issues. And then Philippians 4.2, I beseech Iodia and Syntyche, work through your problem. Get with it and get on the same page. I mean, God's will is that in the local New Testament church, Lighthouse Baptist Church, it's one mind, one mind, one mouth, glorifying one Lord. And then you have the book of Ephesians. You're going to have to forbear. You're going to have to forgive. You're going to have to be kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. And then in the book of Galatians, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one. Restore, set the broken bone, help them get this right. And if you've got the broken bone, you've got to lay still and let folks in the church restore you. That's why often there's not restoration. Because you're trying to restore someone and they're laying there shooting at you with a forty-five, Or they're trying to take your head off with a chainsaw or something. No, we're trying to help you. We're trying to help you. Jesus worked through this with Peter, and Peter <clears throat> cooperated. <clears throat> he, he let the Lord lead him in this. Much of the New Testament concerns itself with dealing with interpersonal relationships. Why? Because we got real issues with interpersonal relationships. We've got to learn how to 
actually talk with each other. And I chose the word with instead of to. We have to learn to talk with each other. There's a difference in me talking with Brother Byler and me talking to Brother Byler. Amen? And if we're talking with one another and he says something that I think, well, that's crazy. It would be wise for me to say, Brother, could you repeat that? He could say it again. I could say, now, is this what you mean by that? And that would give him an opportunity to further elucidate, put more light on it, or maybe to say, you know, that's not at all what I meant. Let me try again. Especially if we're having an issue together and he says something and I'm sitting here and I'm not hearing what he's saying. I'm just preparing my answer. It's a good idea for me to say, I need to just hear what you're saying instead of trying to come up with my rebuttal. And so for me to actually answer you, I really need to know what you're actually saying. So is this what you're saying? And put it out there. And then Brother Russ, he has an opportunity to say, yes, that is what I'm saying. Or to say, no, that's not what I'm saying. All right, well, let me try again. Is this what you mean? Yes, that's what I mean. Okay, now I can actually answer that. That'd be like working through an issue instead of just, he said it, I don't like it. Now I tell everybody he said it. I get upset. I maybe tweet on Facebook and I text him and, and I say, I'm out of here and I'm all done because we got a problem. No, you work through problems. You, problems are opportunities. Work through problems. Work through the confusion. Work through it. And you know what some folks will say, brother? But I'm just not a confrontational person. Could you show me where that matters one bit in the Bible? Listen, stop thinking of these things as confrontations. Start thinking of it as Christianity. It's not about confrontations. It's about being Christ-like. Jesus washed their feet. Jesus works through the misunderstanding. The spiritual lesson going on here is that people that are saved, saved people, clean people, will get dirty feet. You will see dirty feet in the church. I don't mean physical feet. Jesus isn't just talking about that. He shows that because he says Judas isn't clean, right? It's a spiritual cleaning we need. And so we need that washing with the water of the word of God. You're going to be in the church and you're going to see sometimes your pastor's feet is dirty sometimes. Brother Nathan's feet are dirty sometimes. Your feet are dirty sometimes. And you don't start screaming at everybody, he's got dirty feet. He's got dirty feet. No, you help. And then as you're helping, there might be problems as you're trying to help one another be pure and be holy and be sanctified and love God. And as you provoke to love and good works and as you edify and exhort, there might be some friction in all of that. You don't run away. You stick with it and you help each other. You work through it. But I'm not confrontational. Stop thinking of it that way. Be Christ-like. It's good. It's a blessed thing. It's being a Christ follower, a Christ-committed person. You'll have to be humble, though. Jesus is down low. He's wearing the slave's towel. And it's popular for everybody to say, well, I'm just a servant, you know. But somebody said... Check your reaction when someone treats you like a servant. I'm just a servant. Okay, then what happens when someone treats you like a servant? Jesus really humbled himself and served. Work through it biblically. You might, uh, you might try to work through the issue with whoever it is, and after the first attempt, you realize, well, they're not willing to anything. Well, then Matthew 18, 
take a couple of other spiritual, humble people that have a goal of helping and restoring. That's, it's about what we're looking for and hoping for is restoration. We, we want to see this member of the body help so that we're right again, so the body has gone forward again, strong. It's not that we're doing Matthew. We're doing Matthew. I heard a pastor, pastor told another pastor, he said, I'm going to Matthew 18 you. Well, you are two different churches. You can't do that anyway, but he used that like a verb. Brother, I'm fixing to Matthew 18 you. That's a wrong way of looking at Matthew 18. Matthew 18 is for loving, corrective help. It's for restoration. That's what you really want. Now, you try to do that, and someone, again, starts shooting at you. Now, you find out, uh, well, okay, maybe they're not really one of us, you know. I say sometimes you, you assume that everybody in the church is a sheep, but when they're trying to rip your trachea out, you know, you're kind of thinking at that point, this might be a wolf, because sheep don't typically go for the trachea. <laughs> Sheep can butt you, and sheep can get, you know, rebellious at times and all, but they're not typically right here, you know, just ripping and shredding. Take someone else and try to, try to do it. Try to restore such a one. Try to do it honestly and with sincerity. Oh, and, and understand something. When Jesus was helping people get right, Jesus never had to get right. Well, this was shocking to me the first time someone said this to me, but someone told me years ago, you're not Jesus. Boy, that really, I was like, I said, did you tell my parents? Don't tell my parents. My parents are going to be so disappointed. I said, yes, I understand I'm not Jesus. Thank you. I don't have a big beard, and I don't have long hair. So, no, I, we're not Jesus. So it actually could be that this misunderstanding is it actually, it could be I'm wrong. It could be that what I'm doing actually isn't right. It could be that what I'm saying actually is not scriptural. And I need to be willing to admit that if that's the case. Jesus was absolutely right. It's impossible for him to be wrong. And Peter was totally wrong at this time. And Jesus didn't say, you know, I'm having the worst time of my life and what I'm facing and all. I'm done. Just get out of my face. No, he helped him. He worked with him. Jesus could have used any excuse that we ever would want to use. I am troubled in my spirit. I am facing the cross. Judas is right here, and he's going to betray me. He could have said, I know you're going to deny me three times. What, what's the point in trying to work through things with you? And you argued with me a while back when I said I was going to the cross, and you told me not to, Matthew 18, amen? And when we were up on the Mount of Transfiguration, you missed the point big time. And had to be corrected by God the Father. And how many times do I have to go through this with you, Peter? Enough! But he did what he does because he is who he is. He is loving. He is good. He is gracious. He is kind. He is patient. He is considerate. And we need to find out, we need to figure out, make up our minds who we are. And we just need to be what we are. We're Christians. We're the Lord's church members. And so when there's misunderstandings, we work through it. Jesus loved his church, and in this passage, he also warned them that one of them was unclean. He said in verse 10, He that is washed needeth not to save to wash his feet, but is clean every whit. If you've had that full bath, it's only your feet that need wash. And he's, he's making a spiritual point here, because then he says, And ye are clean. You've been washed. You've been cleaned, you members of the church. Well, then he says, But you're not all clean.
because he knew who would betray him. He knew that Judas was not going to, quote, fall from grace or fall away from salvation. No, Judas was what he always was. He was lost. He's a reprobate. He's an apostate. And Jesus loves his church so much, he warns not everybody that's in the crowd is actually converted. Not everybody that shows up at the supper here is going to be at the supper up there. Amen? Not everybody who comes out to the preaching has actually got a place in heaven. Name on the roll up there and all. And so Jesus warns of that. You know, some would say that a pastor that, that preaches these negative things at times and says some will fall away from, uh, from the truth and, and some will go out from among us and certain will, will be deceivers and there's false prophets. A lot of times people think, well, that's really unloving to talk that way. Jesus is love personified and he talked that way. God is love. And he talked that way. He told the truth. It's actually very loving to warn sheep about wolves. It's actually loving to state the flat reality that not everybody that says, Lord, Lord, is in fact a servant. It's loving to prepare people for the truth that there will be false teachers among you. And by the way, Peter, who was there for that foot washing and who who was taken through that misunderstanding by the Lord, Peter did learn to, to not only wash people's feet, but he also learned to warn. That's what he did in 2 Peter chapter 2, didn't he? He warned about people like Judas, even that were in the churches at that time and even in this day that we live in. Peter learned from Christ. It's, it's loving to warn. There are false professors. There are false ministers. There are false prophets. You love your lost friends, and they're listening to these guys on the TV and radio and Internet. If you love them, you will warn them to turn those guys off. Turn them off. Put them away. What you need is a real Bible in a real church with a real man of God that preaches the real Jesus and the real gospel. You say, well, I don't want to drive them away. They can't get any further away than they already are. They're dead in trespasses and sins. You're shining the light there. You're showing them the truth, and the truth will make them free. Nothing else will make them free. The Lord let, uh, let our church see a, a 94-year-old man saved this summer. We were out door knocking, and his, his daughter down in Pittsburgh, Maine, said, you know, she said, I got my own thing worked out with Jesus, and that lets you know she doesn't really because it doesn't work that way. But she said, I got my own thing worked out with Jesus, me and my husband. But she said, if you want to go see my dad in the nursing home, that'd be fine. And so I went to see him. This guy's deaf. He, he was injured in an accident years ago, lost his hearing. He doesn't know any sign language or anything. I went in there, and there sits this man, and, and I tried to communicate a little bit with a whiteboard I wrote on well, I went back a few days later with a laptop that I plugged into his TV, and as fast as I can type, he'll answer them. We have conversations like that. It's, it's amazing. And I took him a Bible lesson. What is the Bible? And he read that entire thing. The next week, I went back to see him. He had things underlined. He had questions written down, 94 years old. Isn't that amazing? And, and we talked all about that. And, and he told me that he's confused. He could talk clearly enough. He said, I'm really confused because I keep watching this guy on TV and this guy on TV. And I said, you know, I said, I love you, Mr. Moore, and I care about you, and I want to help you. I said, but God sent a real man of God to talk to you, and it's got to work like this. You need to listen to me because I'm giving you what the Bible says. You need to turn all of them off. Stop listening to them. A lot of people would say, well, you're going to lose them being like that. Hey, if God's getting them, God's getting them. The truth is not going to hurt them. The truth is going to make them free. And so the next week I went in and he had gone through the next lesson, who is God? He'd underlined, written down all kinds of things. 
And I said, are you still confused by the guys on TV? And he said, no, I've, he said, I haven't listened to any of them since you started talking with me. Is that a blessing? He's repenting a false doctrine. He's getting away from that. The next week, who is Jesus? Next week, what is sin? The next week, how can our sin be forgiven? After about the seventh lesson, you know what he did? He called on the Lord to save him. 94 years old. It's not going to hurt him to, tell, to warn about false teachers and false preachers. It's what Jesus did. It's not going to hurt a church member. When you hear some church member talking about some wrong uh, doctrine, some wrong idea, when you hear them talking about being influenced by maybe those that have gone out from us who are carrying wrong doctrine and all, it's not hurting to warn about that. It's helping. Jesus warned about the uncleanness in his church. It's loving to show people from the Bible there are ministers of Satan. There's false prophets. There's false professors. Over in John 16, 6 and 7, it's a verse I've used many, 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 many times in Brunswick, Maine. Jesus said, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. He's telling them some things there they didn't want to hear. They didn't want to hear about this awful uh, cross that was coming and Peter's denial and all of this. But he said, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. The truth will help. Jesus loved them. And even when they didn't want to hear it, who wants to conclude this very somber meal where Jesus now has done this teaching by washing their feet and dealing with Peter? Who wants Jesus to, quote, mess all that up by saying, by the way, one of you is going to apostatize. But that's what needed to be done. And when your pastor warns, don't be shocked if somebody walks away. Don't be shocked if somebody just throws in the towel and goes back to the world. Now, don't be surprised. And that's not losing salvation. That's just showing they never had it. Don't, that's a good pastor that warns about it. It's the truth that makes you free. The pseudo-love with the sweet, sugary placebo, it doesn't make anybody free. It just deceives people. Jesus actually really, truly loved his church. He loved his church when it was not convenient for him. He loved his church when he was in a troubled state. He loved his church and washed their feet. He loved his church and worked through a misunderstanding. And he loved his church by giving them the truth, even when it was negative and it was warning. And I'm asking tonight, do you personally, you as a church member, do you love your church like Jesus loved the church? Let's receive with meekness the word of God tonight. And let's be honest. There might be right now in your mind someone, some issue, and, and you know, you might as well just humble yourself and say, Lord, I'll talk about that with Brother Son. So, Lord, we're going to work through this. I'm going to do my part. And, Lord, I'm going to confess every part of it that's my fault. I'm going to get it right. It might be that there's something that another church member has talked to you about, and it's very obvious they've got dirty feet in an area. You don't need to run around telling everybody about it. You need to tell them, you know, I love you, and you told me about this or whatever, and, and the Bible tells me I'm to love you enough to say, you ought to clean that up. Let's clean that up with the Bible. Amen. Might be there's someone you need to warn, and you've been thinking, well, I don't want to be negative. I want to be loving. It's not about negative. It's about loving by giving the truth. Let's take care of business tonight and obey what the Lord has for us. Father, we pray you'll help us to do just that, to love the church. Lord, especially I'm thinking tonight, I think it's a real burden of mine tonight. And you, know, you would know why, Lord, I don't, but this matter of working through misunderstandings. Lord, if that's a real, if that's a real uh, issue in someone's heart tonight, I pray you'd help them. 
It's not right of them to just kind of write somebody off or close themselves up to that or to try to just avoid someone or try to pretend and fake and act like everything's great when they know they really need to sit down and talk a while. I pray you'll help with that in Jesus' name. Do all your good pleasure, we pray. Amen.